How is your searching going this Christmas? Whether you are searching online for some answer or a gift, or you're searching in the stores, it's that time of year, isn't it, where we got to get her all done. I went searching the other day. I went searching for a gift. You know, in our household, we sort of give assignments out a little bit, but my wife, God bless her, she does the majority of the work. So grateful for that. But every now and then, she'll give me an assignment. So I decided to do something on Friday afternoon, and I should not have done it. In hindsight, I went to Costco around noon on a Friday before Christmas in Temecula. Do you know, they told me when I moved here that uh, Temecula was uh, the busiest Costco in all of Southern California. I believe that to be true. I went into the parking lot and I drove around and around and around. And I wasn't yet able to search for my gift. I was just searching for a parking stall. You know what I'm saying? You've been caught in that. And then it dawned on me that there's probably 50 to 80 other cars that were doing the same thing as I was. And there was no way that I was going to be able to get into one of those spots. So you know what I did? I just went home. I said, that's it. And uh, I don't know that uh, the particular assignment for the person, they're just going to have to do without because that was my one opportunity. It was a little bit of slot of time. I had it. I only go to three stores, Costco, Sam's Club, and Lowe's, which really doesn't work out very well for my daughter when I'm trying to find her a gift. But, you know, that was it. I want to stay away from the racket. There's a lot of anxiety that brews in me during a very beautiful time of year if I'm engaged in doing this searching, searching, searching. we got to find stuff. we got to make it all happen. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that my Christmas is centered on the true reason for the season, as they say. And as we looked at last week, Oliver did a great job last week, didn't he? And uh, we uh, just want to continue to do that this morning to make sure our hearts are centered and prepared with where they need to be. But because of this uh, feeling of more and uh, the need to get things done, uh, I just decided that we were going to entitle uh, the next few talks, More This Christmas. Let's just go for it. More this Christmas. Why hide it? You know, when I grew up, I had five, there was five of us siblings. And uh, my parents did a great job with Christmas, made it a very meaningful kind of uh, family event that we carried through the years. And I was uh, the fourth of five. And I still remember coming down this flight of stairs from the old farmhouse and uh, turning the corner and never being surprised, really, because the gifts were always there. Now, they weren't there the night before. They were set out because, what, Santa Claus comes, that kind of feeling. And so we had the gifts. And then you had, you know, some breakfast, some other kinds of things going on, but you would slyly try to work your way over to the Christmas tree to do what? Look to see which packages your names were on, right? And who had the big package? And then you would start to slyly count the number of packages you had, and you would compare that to your uh, brothers and sisters and going, did I get more than they did. And if you didn't get more than they did, you'd be a little bit disappointed. Why didn't get more? Now, my parents wouldn't come from a huge uh, means, but they were always providing. I remember this one particular year when I counted, and there were 13 packages. 13 packages that said, carry on them. Now, I don't know. They probably took one sock and put it in one package and another sock and another to multiply and to try to get it out. But I was pretty excited that year. And every year, it seemed like mom and dad would leave like the big one, a big package or something that wasn't even out by the tree for afterwards at the end. And we open them one at a time. Some of you, I know you open them all the same time and it's chaos, whatever, but we would open one at a time. And I remember this one particular year, it wasn't my year to get something. I, one year I got, they, they rented a pinball machine for me. And that, back in those days, that's a pretty big deal. And they hauled it in from the barn and I played pinball for the next three months on that thing. But the, uh, I remember my brother and sister, they got a joint set of uh, keys and it was for a car. And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. Do I, has that happened to me when I get older? I wasn't a very big car. It's one of those stick shift kind of things. But it's embedded in my mind that Christmas time is about getting stuff. 
and getting cool things and getting more and more. And I could never comprehend the idea of my parents saying, oh, I don't need anything. That's fine. We're, I'm like, really? I always want something more. There was uh, that instinct within me as a, a young child and even a growing teenager that I wanted more. What about you this Christmas? Do you want more? What do you want more of? Do you want more things? Do you want more family time? Maybe more beautiful food displays? Maybe just more calm and quiet? Maybe you want more of something else of an internal nature as it relates to, you know, health or uh, maybe some of the emotions that you're wrestling with. What do you want more of? Here's my question this Christmas. Do you want more of Jesus? Or is Jesus sort of that afterthought in your search engine world? And here's the reality. If I actually had you pull out your connect cards and write your real answer on the back, no faking. Don't worry, I'm not going to have you do it. But really, what you're longing for more of. That's why in our time of prayer this morning, the Apostle Paul, his prayer was that there would be more of Jesus. There would be more wisdom and revelation that would come from him more of understanding his power and his strength. Because I can tell you this this morning, there is nothing, nothing from God that's keeping you from having more of him, if that's your true heart's desire. But it's not, it's not Christmas time, is it? It's sort of life. It has a pace, and it runs you at, at certain RPMs that, that just keep you sort of flying past stuff, and some of the best stuff to be able to grab a hold of as it relates to the spiritual life and depth in him and knowing him and the hope and the joy and the peace and the love that he brings, there's something about that that, uh, that just sort of passes us by with all the other trappings of the world and especially the trappings of a season. I want us to have a hunger for more. And as we search for more of Jesus in this season, I want us to walk through a few things. I want you to come to Christmas Eve. We're going to be talking about it being more than a day. Next week, we're going to be talking about it being more than a baby. But this morning, I want us to reflect on this reality that it's more than a story. It's more than a story. You know, the story of Scripture concerning the birth of Jesus is probably fairly familiar to most of you this morning. I read a statistic, though, this week that said that one in five people in the United States, this was just done a couple months ago, one in five people in the United States could not tell you um, the Christmas story from memory. In other words, uh, I'm sorry, that they could only, one in five could only tell it to you from direct memory. Now, another 30%, so we're getting up to close to 50%, could sort of tell you the story about Jesus um, uh, with needing to have some blanks filled in and some reminders and some prompts. We live in a culture today that they say is becoming rapidly secular. The post-Christendom world, a post-modern world, it's not allowed to tell the real Christmas story in educational situations. It's not allowed to, to, to sing certain kinds of Christmas carols that are about Christ, right? There's also um, sort of the awkwardness that's happening in retail where, you know, there was a big kick a few years ago. I suppose it's still out there at some level where you shouldn't say Merry Christmas, but you're supposed to say what? Happy holidays. Happy holidays. And so there's a gradual sidelining of Christ being at the center of Christmas when the reality is Christmas would not exist if it were not for Christ. 
Now, we know that December the 25th is when we celebrate Christ's birth, God's entrance into the world. And that wasn't the exact day that he was born, of course, right? It was sort of picked later on, as some of you might know. But it's a a time to commemorate and to celebrate Christ's entrance into the world. But in general, we've just made it happy holidays. 90, 91% of people celebrate Christmas in the United States at some level, no matter what kind of background or even religion you're from. And that would include, you know, uh, times of uh, family gatherings and gift giving and all that's involved with that. But in the midst of all this, to say that only one in five people can articulate from memory what the scripture story is about. Friends, we need to know the story. And we need to know that the story of Christmas is more than just the story of Christ's birth. Because it's the part of a much larger story. It was in um, 2023, I believe, that um, Frank, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, and he was a very powerful, very astute, uh, very humble uh, kind of religious man, he uh, created the first nativity scene. Now, what the nativity scene is that we think in terms of is, well, you're taking the word um, uh, of God and putting it in a visual form. And so he crafted the first nativity scene to help people remember what the Christmas event was all about. Now, we know the story of Mary and Joseph on their way to Bethlehem to have a baby, and we can start to unpack it. Most of us could here this morning. But it's helpful to have a little bit of a a memory reminder concerning what Christmas really is. And nativity scene helps with that. The word nativity comes uh, from a Latin word that means uh, arising from birth. And so it was sort of captured back in 2023 by uh, St. Francis of Assisi. And then it sort of caught on. And it's caught on in our house. I don't know about yours. My uh, wife, Melissa, who uh, is responsible not only for gift giving, I get the tree up, but she does the decorating. I walked into our uh, front area in our house. Some of you have been to our house. It's about a 10 by 10 foot square area. And then you go off into all the different rooms. And, and the tree, our tall nine foot tree is like right outside of that uh, foyer entrance area. And I walked in and uh, I was... Uh, definitely reminded what Christmas is all about. And I was definitely reminded what Christmas was all about because there were nativity, not a nativity scene, but there were three nativity scenes in my house. And so these are the three nativity scenes in my house. There were two in that welcome area and one by the Bobmouth tree. Do you have his beat? Any of you got his beat? You got three. I said, Sarah, you would. Yes. And so we got... We got a lot of great reminders right there in the front of our house. Now, with the nativity scene, what do you have? You have the traditional characters in the nativity set, right? And it, and it begins with Mary and Joseph around the manger. Baby Jesus in the manger. And the manger is a manger because that's what we're told in Scripture. And so they were probably in maybe, we think, a barn or something like that, right? So that's why it's descriptive with a barnish kind of look, the, the nativity scene is. And then if it was in a barn and it was in a manger, then there had to be some animals around. So you had some animals around, sheep and goats, right? Some cows maybe, that kind of thing. And then you had the shepherds because the shepherds came, right? And the shepherds came because the angel declared. We just sang about it. Hark the herald angels sing. That right? And so um, they came, and so you got shepherds. And then we know the story of the wise men who came, right? So you put three wise men in the nativity scene, all right? And usually there's an angel somewhere around the nativity set. That's the nativity set, which describes the nativity story, which is about arising from birth, God came down. And was born as a babe in a manger. So, that story, most of you could articulate in here today. And so you're going like, Pastor, where you're going? Because I'm glad I don't have to speak every Christmas and come up with a new message because we all know the message, right? 
Well, the message is more than the nativity story. The message is much more than the nativity story. And in fact, some of the nativity set icons have sort of confused us a little bit. The reality was he probably was not born in a barn. He, it was said there was no room in the inn, and that's the same word in uh, the original language that says guest room almost. So it could have maybe been a guest room, but the guest room was probably on the lower level. The main family lived on the main level, and who he went to, whether it was a relative or a true innkeeper. And you can't think of the inn, right? You think, oh, there's no room in the inn. It wasn't like the Holiday Inn of Bethlehem, right? It wasn't the Hampton Inn of greater Jerusalem area. You know, it wasn't all the fine necessities. They didn't have those kinds of things then. So an inn would just be where they would stop over, be able to stay on their journey along the way. And the place where Jesus was born possibly was a lower level because they would bring the animals in at night and they would stay in the lower level. Not like you think of the lower level of your house. It could have been a cave area. It could have been a barnish kind of looking thing. We don't really know. All we know is that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords had this really humble, humble entrance into the world in a manger. In a stable area. I, um, this last week, maybe some of you have had the opportunity to go. Uh, a week ago, I had the opportunity to go to The Chosen. That was in the movie theaters. It was like a great Christmas Eve kind of production. A lot of singing and special numbers. And then uh, they had the special uh, redoing of uh, Mary and Joseph and being able uh, to sort of picture fresh and anew uh, Christ being born into a stable area. And I love the depiction, especially when uh, they, they had Joseph sort of scoop in the manure and throwing it away. I'm like, he probably had to do that, right? So the nativity scene is set a little bit, but we have to make sure that it's right size. And there's some other things that probably, they're just not really accurate with this, right? So the angel, there wasn't really anything in scripture that says an angel was right there with them. Now we think of the angels being there. Why? Because the angels appeared to who? The angels appeared to the shepherds, right? And that was like sort of right before and then the shepherds came. So putting the shepherds there is probably good. We don't know if an angel was there, but it would make sense that an angel was there. But is that really in the biblical story? And then the whole thing of the three wise men, that one like is not right. Because the wise men didn't show up at the same time as the shepherds and give high fives and say, hey, good to see you here. Let me introduce myself, that kind of thing. No, that was not true of what was uh, uh, true of that story of Scripture. In fact, it said that the wise men probably came later, maybe four months to up to maybe two years later. And I was reading through some of that this week that isn't all that important here this morning. But but there we have the nativity set, the nativity story. Aw, how quaint, how nice. Sort of provides some warm fuzzy, right? If I need to change the sound, I can. There's a need for us this Christmas to have a hunger to know more than just a story nor than just the nice nativity scene. What we need to have a hunger for is to know the big picture of all that God's doing and how that relates personally to us in our lives. The nativity story was actually a story and a much bigger story. And the nativity story, when we look at it and try to comprehend how it's more than a story, there's there's a lot to unpack in the two primary passages that describe it. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? But only Matthew and Luke articulate the Christmas story of the Nativity. John gives reference to it, but it's in much bigger, grander kind of uh, scale. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Mark just sort of jumps right into the ministry of Jesus. Luke is the most historically, um, uh, 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 proliferates it the most and unpacks it the most. But those two, chap- those two books and the two first two chapters of each of those two books are chapters that you and I need to be rooted in and then understand the grander, bigger story in all of it if we're to experience more of Jesus this Christmas season. 
And these are three things I want you to understand and realize concerning the nativity story. The nativity story, first of all, is historically reliable. Second, it is profoundly relevant. And the third, it is personally rewarding. Now, you may be on the front end of that and go, nice story. Why don't you go pitch that to your neighbor? Hey, do you know I, I worship someone who was born from a virgin? What? That's a nice story. But do you really believe that? I want to encourage you that all through Scripture, there are prophecies spoken about Jesus, the Messiah who would come. And in all those prophecies, Jesus fulfilled them. The story we have in the Nativity comes from the most historically provable, reliable word of ancient times. The manuscripts, they're all solid, comparing them one to another in the early years. Archaeology, there is not one archaeological discovery that is disputed anything of significance in Scripture by a contemporary person. The eyewitnesses who were there, foremostly Mary, right? Who talked to Luke, most likely, right? That Mary and Joseph, they articulated the accounts, the shepherds articulated accounts. There's a lot of uh, sort of high-level I think they're high level, at least they are on TV, uh, court cases that have been going on, people being put on trial these days for different kinds of things and activities, and you get glued into them a little bit, or, oh yeah, there's the verdict came down for that one, right? And maybe you've been exposed to that some just in the last few weeks. Well, what's the most important thing when you're in a courtroom related to, is it true or not, guilty or not guilty? It's the eyewitness accounts. And if you bring in an eyewitness account, that's highly credible. And so the recorded stories in Matthew and Luke concerning the nativity are based upon eyewitness accounts and people writing them, historically passing them down through manuscripts and then the Bible to which we have today, 2,000 years later from the time of Christ's birth. And you can, you can just chalk it up. It is historically reliable. But if you're on that end and you're trying to figure things out, then I encourage you to study it, as, uh, examine scriptures. Wherever you're at in your spiritual life, it's like, well, the Bible's a nice storybook. I mean, that was great last week. We had some really uh, beautiful, genuine parent-child dedications, and the kids, I guess, going off, some of them were like they got Bibles or store Bible books, and it's like, oh, wow, this is mine, that kind of thing. And the parents, you guys, some of you here, you know, you're sitting down and you're telling them the Bible stories, but the Bible stories are not fiction. They are not legend. Bible stories are historically reliable. They are accurate. They are true. They happened as surely as you would chronicle some of the early years of your life and try to tell someone that's a friend of yours. This really happened to me. So we should never come with, you can come with a heart of doubt, but that doubt or skepticism concerning the biblical accounts of the birth of Jesus Christ should never be a deterrent from you discovering more of Jesus. Because they're historically reliable, accurate accounts. And Scripture teaches that God came down. King, come down. God came. God came in the flesh, born as a babe in a manger, from a virgin, worshipped, lived, died, rose again, ascended to the heavens, coming again. A much bigger story. So the nativity story is historically reliable, but it's also profoundly relevant. It's profoundly relevant for your life and for my life. And it's also personally rewarding. And what I'd like to do here this morning is just exhort us to sort of grab a hold of this reality. We need to experience Christmas not as an isolated event or seasonal celebration, but as part of the ongoing God story of our personal salvation, everyday hope, and eternal glory. 
So we worship and celebrate Christmas in this season, especially on December the 25th, right? But when you worship and celebrate, whether here at church or in your home, worship and celebrate, celebrate the bigger story of what God is doing. And some of us this morning need personal salvation. Some of us, if we were honest, would describe ourselves as a little bit lost and things are sort of broken in our lives. And yeah, you're sitting here in church because you think it's a good thing to do or you came because a friend invited you. But, but there's no real spiritual vitality in life for you. You're spiritually flatlined. And you're flatlined because you're flatlined in some of the brokenness of your own life and indifference to God, maybe, in the journeys you've been on. And, and it's not here to heap a bunch of guilt on you. It's here to heap a bunch of hope on you. Because you can be saved from your lostness. And you can find life do a pivot and go another direction through Jesus Christ who entered into this world. So this Christmas, don't experience just the holidays. Experience the wonder of the God story and how that God story is to play out in your personal life. And then to understand and discover the hope, everyday hope that comes from that. Maybe you're in the doldrums, discouraged. Maybe things aren't going well. Maybe things are going really well, and you're hoping to live on that high for a while, but you know that the other shoe's going to drop in life for something. You're like, I don't know. Every day, because of the nativity story being true, you and I have hope. And it can be personally rewarding and that ultimately rewarding in eternity, in heaven and in the new earth, being with God and his son Christ in all of his glory. That's our destiny. So this Christmas, don't just experience it as an isolated event or a seasonal celebration. Experience it as part of the ongoing God story of your own personal salvation, everyday hope, and eternal glory. So this is what I want us to do. In case you haven't read it yet, we're going to read some parts of this story. I'm going to sit here, and I'm not going to put the Scripture up on the screen. You can pull out your Bibles, or if you have a, a version app, uh, you might want to follow along with that. Because this idea that our generations are starting to pass by without knowing the story, the grander story, even as it relates to the nativity story, is um, a crisis to me. And so may we at the Awakening Church not be awake to fully understand what the scriptural story is. And it's been highlighted, and, and Pastor Oliver went to some of it in Luke. But we're going to go to some of these passages, sections, in Luke, in Matthew and Luke, chapter 1 and 2. So let's get into the story. Lean in. What we do is one of our traditions in our house is we take one of those nativity sets that you just saw up there on the screen, and we dismantle it, and we set it aside, and we stick the, the manger out in front, and we tell the story by using the members of that nativity set one by one as we read through it oh don't worry that we're overly all that spiritual after that we read the story of the night before christmas that kind of thing and then we send everybody off to bed right christmas is coming but the ability for us to know the story not just know about it but to know the one who's at the center of the story is so critical for us so turn with me first to Matthew. Matthew records it this way. Matthew, he was writing to the Jewish people. He was very mindful of that, and he leads off. You know, here's your book. You would think, hey, give him a big hook, a big introduction, and what does he do? He says, verse 1 of chapter 1, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, to the son of Abraham. And then for the next 15 verses, he lists a genealogy. Now, how dry and boring of a story is that going to be? But you need to understand this. The identity at that time was not based upon what somebody did, what their title was. Your identity was foremostly found in your heritage, who you came from. In fact, you know, it was a so-and-so was the son of or the daughter of. Your lineage was critical. And what Matthew does here is he paints the lineage he paints the lineage by which Joseph came in 
to the picture. Now, Joseph was the earthly father of Jesus. Jesus was not born of Joseph. He was born of the Virgin Mary, born of the Holy Spirit, born of God. But it was critical to identify the lineage of Joseph, and later, in other places, the lineage of Mary is identified. Verse 17 says this, Thus, after this full lineage, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, what's that telling you right there? That's telling you there's a bigger story than just the nativity story. The nativity story is a part of God's story of what he's doing. And he's fulfilling prophecy. He's moving things in time forward. He's about bringing salvation to the world. And he describes it by giving these sections of time from Abraham to David. Abraham, who was commissioned by God to leave Ur the Chaldees, to move into what's modern-day Israel. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing, and you will be a blessing to all nations, God says. And then David, in the king's era of Israel, he was the, the most uh, ultimate king. They were called the Golden Ages for Israel. And then it was always spoke that the Messiah, the Savior, would come through the lineage of David. And so then he talks about from David, from the exile to Babylon and 14 to the, uh, uh, to the exile of uh, the Messiah. The lineage is important because it's painting the bigger picture. And you probably didn't start out your nativity story with your kids going, hey, let me tell you about where Joseph came from, Right? No, we just jump right into it. But there's the bigger story. God's fulfilling. He's doing something. And then it says this in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. What? I mentioned a couple weeks ago, this was the betrothal period. It was a period of engagement, but different than our period of engagement. The engagement meant that you were basically married, but you didn't live in the same house and you hadn't consummated the marriage physically. So it was understood that you were married if you were betrothed to someone and he was betrothed to Mary. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, the scriptures, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce, divorce her quietly. Now, it probably wasn't done in this time, but if someone had committed adultery, they were stoned to death. There's a serious matter here. Not like our loose moral standards today. This was a big deal. But Joseph went out of his way to try to protect her, and he was going to do it quietly. He wasn't going to do it publicly and shame her. But then look what happens. But after he considered this, in verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Huh? She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Yeshua. Joseph. Joshua. Joshua means our God saves. And Yeshua comes. Jesus comes from that root of the Lord saves. And then it spells it out real clearly. Verse 21, because, why did he come? To save his people from their sins. This whole idea that the nativity story is profoundly relevant for you and me comes right to the crooks here. Yeshua, Joshua, common name of that day, Jesus. He came foremostly to save people from their sins. Not, not just to forgive their sins, but to save them from the power of sin because sin destroys lives. Sin destroys families. Sin destroys communities. Sin destroys nations. And sin is wreaking havoc in all of the world. There is a Pretty big issue with sin. In fact, if you pause to think about it, all the ills of the world mostly come down to this reality of sin. Whether it's uh, arrogance, pride, hatred, lust, greed, you name the sin, and it sounds ugly to mention it, but when we look at some of the difficulties that are going on, it goes back to those and go, wow, 
I think at the root of that is sin. And we live in a world that doesn't like to... They don't even use the word sin. They try to describe the ills of the world in other kinds of ways. God knows. From the fall of time, sin has brought brokenness into our lives. And Jesus came not to create a nice nativity scene for us to have in our Christmas day. Happy holidays. Jesus came to save the world, to save you and I from our sins. All this took place to fulfill what was said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I'm going to look at this a little bit more next week when we talk about more than a baby, but I uh, find it fascinating all the prophecies that Jesus, from his birth to his death to his resurrection, fulfilled. In fact, it's said that he filled so many of the prophecies that were spoken of him that it's astronomical odds to be able to think that all of them would be fulfilled by one person in one lifetime. And this prophecy was from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You might think when you're reading through Isaiah, well, that's, is that really referring to a coming Messiah? Well, what happens to the Holy Spirit is in this gospel of Matthew, he grabs a hold of this ancient verse from 700 years prior, and he says 700 years, this verse is now fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, that's where Matthew's account really sort of ends. Now, it talks about the Magi coming, and we'll touch base on that some next week. But the idea that um, we have all this surrounding storyline of the story of the nativity, we don't get much of that from Matthew. In fact, uh, when we do the nativity set with our kids, the Christmas Eve, uh, we have to go between Matthew and Luke. And definitely, if you're going to get the three kings in there, the three wise men in your nativity set, to put them out, you've got to come back here to Matthew because that's not recorded in Luke. But let's jump to Luke, Luke chapter 1. And Luke chapter 1 begins with this. It's a very serious account. This, this shows the uh, astuteness of Luke, who was a physician, to make sure that what he was recording was historically reliable. Many have undertaken to draw up the account of things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Someone he was writing this to, not only Luke, but also his part two book, which is the book of Acts. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. This is not some iffy game. Again, if you're in the doubt category, it's an okay category to be in, but it's up to you to pursue knowledge and truth and to get it to, to play its way out and to look into God's word to see what the eyewitnesses have recorded. And then what he does is he starts off with the story of the birth of someone else besides Jesus. He starts off with the birth of a relative of Jesus. And that was the birth of John the Baptist. Now there's something that's a part of this pre-story to the nativity story that really is more of a story that we need to endear ourselves to. And I think sometimes it would be really valuable to communicate that. Where to our children, to our friend or whatever, because this shows God's got something bigger going on. It says this in verse 5 of Luke 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. 
Once when Zacharias' division, he was a part of the priesthood, and so they would sort of send in divisions from different parts of the country to be the priest for certain seasons at the temple. Once when his division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So there's different parts to the temple and more towards the interior part is where the priests would go. And so he was selected. You go in there and you deal the business. You do the representation with God. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. I love the details that Luke gives. Why didn't he just say, hey, you showed up, man? At the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of God. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. I love that part there. He is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We talk about life in the womb right there. Proof, life in the womb. God is filling a baby with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, this was John's purpose. John's purpose uh, was to point the way to Jesus. Maybe as surely as somebody in your life uh, has pointed you to Jesus in prior years or maybe right now is trying to point you to say, hey, let's get our lives cleaned up and go to Jesus, right? So you're a messenger. You're pointing the way to Jesus. God, in his big picture of redemption, he made a plan to fulfill prophecy that said that Elijah would go before the coming of the Messiah. Well, the Elijah wasn't the return of Elijah himself, but it was John the Baptist coming in the spirit of Elijah to point. And so when John the Baptist started his ministry and he baptized Jesus, actually, he declared out, behold, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist in his ministry day was teaching a baptism for the repentance of sin, but he couldn't teach a baptism unto salvation and transformation. But he pointed the way to Jesus. And here God and his sovereign came to an, a relative of Mary, Elizabeth, and Zachariah in their old years, and said, you're going to give birth to a son and you're going to call him John. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which were, will come true at their appointed time. I always think God's a little harsh here. Don't you? I would have doubt if my wife was way past childbearing years and even an angel appeared to me and said, hey, you're going to have a baby, Carrie. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then God says, fooey on you, you doubter. I'm going to take your voice away from you. You're not going to speak. Really? That doesn't seem fair, right? But God had some divine plan that was involved in all of this. Zachariah was amazed and he stood back and he was at awe. He stood before the angel Gabriel. I don't know. If I stood before the angel Gabriel, I'd be fearful and in awe too. You know, Gabriel, it's not actually referred to. There's the archangel Michael. Michael's referred to as an archangel. It's believed that Gabriel is an archangel, but it's not because of canonical reasons from Scripture that we have in our hands. It's from the book of Enoch. And the book of Enoch's a pretty decent book, but it's not part of the canon. And the book of Enoch gives reference to Gabriel was a archangel. Gabriel appears three times. He appears to Daniel way back in the Old Testament. He appears uh, to Zechariah here at the birth of John, and then he appears to Mary. And Joseph. 
the archangel. Part of the story. Not fiction. Not legend. The angel appeared and spoke a wonder that was about to happen for this older couple. Meanwhile, the people were waiting on Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them. I doubt if he knew ASL. Probably didn't exist back then. But remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion, the Lord has done this to me, she said. In these days, he has, taken, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. It was a disgrace if you didn't have a kid. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel again to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. A descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Okay, so the story's building. It's more than just than the stories. God is fulfilling prophecy. An angel from the ancient of times appears. Elijah is going to be sent forward through the birth of the son John, through Elizabeth. Elizabeth was uh, maybe a distant cousin of Mary, could have been an aunt to Mary. We, we know that Elizabeth was older, right? She was older in her years. And, and Elizabeth then, she goes and she visits Mary, or Mary goes and visits her. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. When the angel Gabriel appeared to her and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. They think that Mary was probably maybe 15, 16. She was very young. They got married very early in those years. Joseph was older, it's believed. But the angel said to her, again, it's probably needed for all of us. Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom, his kingdom will never end. He's like, get out. What? Uh, he's going to reign over the throne of David, which was the glory years, the golden years of Israel. And He's going to reign over all that. you got to remember, they were under the oppression of the Romans. Things weren't going well in their culture. They had a lot of bad news on the evening TV set. They were oppressed people. And this angel saying that you're going to give birth to a son and he's going to be in the line of lineage and he's going to have a kingdom. Oh my goodness, that's going to reign forever? Shocking kind of news to a young teenager. Hard to comprehend. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel. Because there's a little bit of a problem here. I am still a virgin. I have not had physical relations with Joseph because we're only betrothed. We have not got to the wedding day and we are devout followers of God and that's not going to happen. How does this prophecy come fulfilled? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Oh, there's a comforting one. There's, there's a personal truth that's profoundly relevant for us. No word from God will ever fail. God doesn't go like, oh, I really didn't mean that prophecy that we threw out in the Old Testament or the word I spoke. To. No, it will never fail. God's spoken a word. You believe it. You hang on to it. You move forward with it today. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me. Be to me. Be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea 
she went to see her relative, Elizabeth, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, another identifying mark of God has created the child in the womb. John the Baptist, as he would be known, John here, he was the first one to worship Jesus. He leaped. He leaped. We don't have dancers in this church, but there's some Sundays I think we should probably. You've been to a church that has dancers? They leap, they joy, they celebrate, they swing some banners sometimes. There was a lot of worship celebration in the womb of Elizabeth. Here was John who would one day say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he meets Jesus for the first time through membrane members of the skin walls. Wow. A divine story. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, Mary, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Well, the story moves on. There's more, more to the story. Endear yourself, picture yourself to it. Not even got to Luke 2. But that's enough for tonight, my friends. Let's go to bed. Do you ever have somebody read you nighttime stories? May we as adults this season take more into our life this Christmas season more of Jesus. More than just a story. May we, this Christmas season, understand that what we're a part of is something big. A God story. And that God story can be working its way in your life. Because God did become flesh and dwelt among us so that we could receive salvation for our sins. Historically reliable, profoundly relevant, and personally rewarding. You know, in this time of year, they talk about love, joy, peace, hope. I couldn't find those things at Costco you won't either. But you'll find them in the Lord Jesus Christ. I um, had the opportunity to go to Bethlehem a couple times in my 20s. When I was 25, I remember going to Bethlehem and the Church of the Nativity is what it's called. It's been there from like the first century or commemorating a place where they believe Jesus was born. It's always hard when you go to Israel and you see the trappings of where they think this happened or that happened. That's why I enjoy some of the places like the Sea of Galilee. You can't make that one up. That's the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus walked on the Sea of Galilee. But it seems like wherever Jesus supposedly did something, they built a chapel or something over it. I, I don't fully know if the church in the nativity is the spot where Jesus was born or how they would know how many eyewitnesses were there. Maybe the shepherds came back and put a stake in the ground and said, this is where it was at. I don't know. But it goes back pretty early, first, second century. And so there's a lot of possible historical... Uh, veracity to it. I was there with a, a group of people, young adults from my college, and uh, we were riding bicycles around Israel at the time. 
It was one of the best experiences I've ever had, seeing all the different sites of the Holy Land. And, and I remember that we went into the church in the Nativity, and you're going like, really? Is this all the trappings of this? And I tell you what, friends, Bethlehem, it's chaotic. It's chaotic. There's a lot of politics there. There's a lot of stress, and sometimes it's not open to outsiders. Sometimes it is. I can't imagine what it was during the day of Jesus. It was really a remote village that was, you know, seven, eight miles just south of Jerusalem. wasn't known all that much, but that's where, you know, Joseph came from. And so when the consensus was called, that's where he went. And it's what Luke 2 records. We'll look at it a little bit more next week. But I'm like, okay, I'm here. Church and Nativity was really beautiful. But then they had you go down these steps at the front of the church. It's sort of built a little bit of an across shape, and you go down these steps into a grotto, which is sort of like a cave. And you're thinking, well, this doesn't, oh, I guess maybe it would. The animals and the nativity set, right? Maybe, maybe it was. Maybe there was a house over top of this. And we're all packed in there, us young adults. And I'm not all that close to the spot. There's a a star, a multi-pronged star that's in marble, that's embedded in, in the bottom of this lower area where they believe this is where Christ uh, was born. And the leader called on me to pray. Well, you're just sort of going through the routine a little bit, but then it just struck me the idea of what if this truly is the place, and if this is not the place, maybe it was just a couple blocks over, I don't know, you know. Bethlehem wasn't all that big at the time. And so you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm in the very spot where God himself came into this world. That'll take you back. We had a beautiful prayer time in that moment. And what we were commemorating was not a historical event merely. We were commemorating being a part of the big God story because he came into this world to save us from our sins and he is saving this world and he is coming back someday to redeem this world and set up a new heaven and a new earth. And I have a moment in time here by where the manger might have been to worship God. And my heart leaped for joy that I knew Jesus. Do you know Jesus? You don't have to go to Bethlehem and see where he was born. You can know Jesus by in the quietness of your heart right now as we pray. Invite Jesus. King, come down. Come into my life. Is Jesus your Savior? Is Jesus your everyday hope? Is Jesus the one who you long for? Do you want more and more of Jesus this Christmas? Will you pray with me? Lord, as we pray, I ask across this room that if there is one who has not yet surrendered their life to you, that they would take the opportunity this Christmas season, if not here this morning, and invite you into their life. In a simple prayer of repentance, turning from sin and the indifference of the past and turning to you, Jesus, may you come into their life. And Lord, may they find themselves leaping for joy because they've been united with you. Lord, your word says that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, that's the true full nativity story. We want Christ in us more and more. For those who have never invited him in, may you take that moment in the stillness of this time to pray that simple prayer, Jesus, I repent of my sin, come into my life. And from this day forward, I will seek to live for your glory. And if you had invited Jesus already in your life and you've journeyed with him, may you in the hectic pace sometimes of a season such as this center yourself on the wonder and the beauty of not just the nativity story, but more than that story. And may you find his leadership in your life, the hope for each day, including the problem that you brought to him in prayer this morning earlier, and the problem that maybe faces you this week that you don't even know of. Lord, may you, Jesus, be our hope, our everyday hope. And may we, 
long for that day of eternal glory with you when you come again to receive us to yourself. Lord, the beautiful story of Christmas. May it be more this Christmas. And God's people said, Amen. Thanks for coming today on your way out. The ushers will have the offering baskets for you to be able to place your offerings and your tithes, your connect cards with the Lord. Invite us to come back next week as we continue to celebrate Christmas. More Christmas, more than a baby. Invite a friend. God bless.